are entering the Freedom Hut. The president's lawyer pleads guilty to lying to Congress. And that means that the left is once again in full freakout mode about Russia collusion. We'll break down fact from fiction and tell you about how they've still got nothing coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Here's the story. Go back and look at the paper that Michael Cohn wrote before he testified in the House and or Senate. It talked about his position. What he's trying to do, because he's a weak person and not a very smart person, what he's trying to do is end, and and it's very simple, he's got himself a big prison sentence, and he's trying to get a much lesser prison sentence by making up a story. Now, here's the thing. Even if he was right, it doesn't matter, because I was allowed to do whatever I wanted during the campaign. I was running my business, a lot of different things, during the campaign. So very simply, Michael Cohn is lying and he's trying to get a reduced sentence for things that have nothing to do with me. Perjury traps, perjury traps, and more perjury traps. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. That's the president who is laying out a very clear explanation of really all that needs to be said when it comes to the latest today in the Russia collusion farce slash nightmare nightmare for the country farce for all people that can still put two and two together and have not been brainwashed into thinking that putin somehow changed the election results in 2016 michael cohen the lawyer slash fixer for donald trump for over a decade has come out and pleaded guilty to federal crime uh, to a federal crime in this case lying to Congress with regard to uh, some questions that he was asked about his um, about a Russian real estate project. Now, to give you a sense of what we're talking about here with the degree of the lie, um, he had said that he had limited discussions about a proposed real estate deal with uh, Mr. Trump in Moscow, essentially for Trump Tower Moscow. That was the idea. But in reality, there were more extensive discussions. He said that the false statements also included that he continued to talk to them after January 2016, when really those efforts continued through June of 2016. And then the deal fell apart. And the deal fell apart a month after Trump secured his claim on the uh, GOP presidential nomination. Okay, everybody. Uh... Let's just take a step back for a second. What does this really say about anything that any of us care about other than Michael Cohen did something very dumb? I I can't answer that question for you because the left is just going to come up with, well, I mean, the answer is nothing, but the left is going to come up with some convoluted theory here of how, oh, but... You know, and that's why, you know, Veselnitskaya in Trump Tower, that happened right after the deal fell apart. So maybe that was an overture. Okay. You know, so so maybe the Russians are trying to, you know, 
tickle Trump's toes a little bit here and see if they could, uh, you know, make all nicey nice with him in case he did win. I talk, by the way, talk about foresight. Let me tell you one thing that came out of, as I've talked to you before, the KGB archives, the Matrokin archive, fascinating book, highly recommend you read. Uh, you read about it when you get a chance, The Sword of the Shield. And it is clear when you're going through it that the Soviets had an incredibly poor understanding of American politics. You know, they, they really didn't know, uh, you know, who was what and what was who uh, when it came to different political parties. And, you know, they had a very much an outsider's understanding of this. We are really to believe that the Russians... The Russians had so much foresight that they were in this back and forth. And and then they sent an emissary to Trump Tower under the guise of Russian adoptions, saying she had dirt on Hillary, but actually talking about Russian adoptions, maybe. And this was all so they could start a back channel to get Trump Tower Moscow going. Do do the people who are saying this stuff out loud hear themselves? Do Do they really think this through? And more than anything else, I just sit here and say to myself, the president wasn't the president yet. He could still talk about deals here and there. He could do whatever he wanted to do in terms of real estate transactions when he's running for the presidency. He's a businessman. You know, in a sense, this is because we have become very used to just having politician after politician run for the presidency. People that don't have business interests, really. People that aren't running things other than government agencies or institutions, uh, that should change. That should change. Uh, You would think that an individual who had more connectivity to the economy in a real sense, who weren't just living off the public sector or living off of their previous fortune and no longer having to really get involved in the day-to-day of the bottom line and profit and loss, uh, that's not necessarily a good thing. But... Now we get into the whole, uh, what does this mean? Oh, now Cohen once again has flipped on Trump. That's what they're saying. Well, they've been saying this for months. And what's the most that we've gotten out of it? Oh, maybe there was a payment made to Stormy Daniels. And was that a campaign finance violation? Which even if it was, was a slap in the wrist. This is the best they can pull off. This is the most major stuff they have. Hmm. Are, are, Are we to believe that they're just holding out to the very last minute to to drop the bombshell of all bombshells that, you know, they have conversations between Trump and Assange or one of Trump's emissaries and Putin or whatever it may be. This is fantasy land. I mean, I really do believe that people are going to look back on this period in time and they will they will just have a hard time believing what they are reading about this. That the left could be so obsessed with this idea. There are plenty of reasons to criticize Trump. There are plenty of areas to have disputes with him on policy. I mean, I get it if they don't like his style. I mean, I think he's really funny and I like it most of the time. But, you know, but it's always this this, this Russia thing. They have invested so much of themselves, the media in particular, into this that they it's like climate change. The problem with discussing climate change with libs now is that they've been so self-righteous, so sanctimonious on it for such a long time that for them to go back on that now would would be so ego-crushing for them 
that they would rather continue in the delusion than have to grapple with the facts. Better for them to just keep on believing the fairy tale than have to live in the reality. And I think we're there on Russia collusion too. Doesn't matter what the Mueller report finally says. Doesn't matter if no charges are brought against Trump. Doesn't matter if the House investigations that we know are coming. Turns up no new worthy information about this. They will believe it until the, you know, until the day they die on the left. They're going to believe that Trump did all this stuff. And then you get into how, how much they are damaging. And, and I, I know this was what we talked about a bit yesterday. I interviewed uh, Jerome Corsi today, and that will air. Did it air today? Will it air tomorrow morning? I forget now. But it will be on thehill.com. Uh, this idea that because there are all of these pleas that people are taking, you know, that, that there are so many, so many folks around Trump who've had to plead guilty, who have pleaded guilty to lying, that there must be something there. And no, what we are seeing is a power-mad prosecutor who is nailing people for minor inconsistencies, oversights, or lapses in memory in their testimony and doing this over and over again, not just to self-justify the investigation, which is a big part of it, right? Oh, there's a guilty plea. There must be something there. Another guilty plea. There must be something there. But each one of these individuals has been flipped to give information on Trump, and it could save them years in prison. And I don't have to tell you this, but if somebody can shave years off their prison sentence, if they got information, they're going to share it. It has to be real. Right? It has to be information that they're not making up, and they're going to get even more trouble. If you lie in the plea bargain process at all, if you lie as part of your deal, the whole, as Manafort is apparently finding out, your whole deal goes away. And then you're back to federal mandatory minimums, and you don't want that. You don't want that. Um, But you got, like, Senator Mark Warner, for example, is is making this case. You know, he's he strikes me as a smart enough guy to know that what he's saying is crap, and that's even more upsetting. You know, it, it sort of reminds me of how the, the anti-Trump conservatives who are just turncoats and Trojan horses, who aren't even really conservative anymore, who, who really want to see their own side fail, they bother me more in some ways than the crazy wackadoodle libs because at least the crazy libs are crazy. The conservatives are just cutthroat, self-involved crybabies, the ones who have turned on their fellow, and they're not even conservatives, right? They're, they're fakes, the fake conservatives are even more annoying. So Warner is, is too smart to really believe this, but I think he knows he's got to say it. Play clip four. You've got all these close associates of the president, one after another, pleading guilty, often pleading guilty about their ties to Russia and Russians. And what are they covering up for? And we also have a White House that still seems just obsessed about this investigation. If anything the president has said is true that there's no there there uh, why are all his closest associates being found guilty of lying about their ties to russia two very important smears lies misdirections from warner there that i want to address and, and i'll take these uh 
I'll take these in, in reverse order. First of all, the idea that because there are people pleading guilty to this, there must be something to it. I, I asked Professor Dershowitz this today. We we spoke about it at, at the Hill. And he said, look, this is, this is why you shouldn't testify unless you absolutely have to. I mean, this is why people plead the fifth. Because if you have a prosecutor that won't, they're finding minor inconsistencies. They're fine. Well, they catch these people in lies. Usually you would lie so you don't get caught for a crime. These people, to a person, with the exception, I guess, of Manafort, are getting caught in lies about non-criminal behavior. They never lie and then, oh, you lied because you were trying to cover up this crime. What that tells us, because this is a pattern, is that Mueller and his team put people through very aggressive questioning, find an inconsistency, and then nail them based on the inconsistency. And remember, you're being asked questions. You're responding as best you can, but... You know, people forget things. This is reality. People forget things. And a part of justice is understanding that if someone is not intentionally lying to cover up a crime, if they're just misremembering a date or an event or a conversation, then that cannot be. There's no criminal mind. There's no mens rea to justify a charge. They don't care. They're nailing all these people. And anyone who's been around interrogations, as I have, polygraphs as I have, law enforcement proceedings, criminal cases, we'll tell you this too, okay? If you really want to get someone for a lie, you can. It's just like going through someone's taxes. Imagine if the IRS was hell-bent on getting you on a tax violation. I assure you they could do it. I assure you they could. Are you a tax cheat? Are, are you a tax cheat? No, you're not. Am I a tax cheat? No. I pay my taxes. You pay your taxes. But are your taxes perfect? No. So does that make you a tax cheat? Well, if the IRS decided they were going to weaponize their power, I guess it could, but that would be unjust. And then you have this idea that the Trump administration is obsessed with this. How can the Trump administration not be obsessed with this? How can the Trump administration get past this? This has been the biggest lie perpetrated against the American people of my lifetime. They're trying to take down a presidency with it. The news outlets are obsessed with it. People have staked their careers on ending his presidency with this. This drives the news cycle night after night after night. But Trump is obsessed with it? This reminds me of when Kavanaugh defended himself. There's an, oh, look at him. He's angry, so he must be guilty. You're damn right he was angry. If somebody lied about me the way they lied about Kavanaugh, I'd be angry too. They are they are unhinged. They really have lost it. So as we work through more of the news of the day today on this on this case and Jerome Corsi and everything else, just keep that in mind. We'll be right back. Potentially big new questions in the Russia investigation and the corresponding lack of answers from the White House. And any kind of collusion with the Russians. And then there's the Russia investigation. We know the Russians were involved in interfering with the election. From Russians offering, as we know in the Trump Tower meeting, some kind Certainly. of dirt on Hillary Clinton. That Russian hackers began to target Clinton's accounts. Fact. It's Russia. Who's obsessed with Russia again? I'm pretty sure it's not the White House. I think it's the people that no matter what happens. They're never going to give this up, though. I've, I've been saying that all along. This never really 
goes away. This never turns into a moment of honesty on the left where they say, wow, we've really, we really jumped the shark on this one. Um, they'll just, they'll hold on to whatever beliefs they want, no matter what comes out about this. And, you know, I, I agree with the Dersh, about the Dersh, uh, when he says that this is going to be a, this is going to be just a political fight. That's where all this is heading. It's been political all along. Play six. Remember, it's like an indictment, uh, even though it won't be an indictment. It's one-sided. It's based on the testimony only of witnesses that the prosecution sought to call. And as everybody knows, an indictment can't be used as evidence of guilt. It doesn't undercut the presumption of innocence. It's just a charging document. It will not show balance. Anybody who expects balance, fairness, nuance is looking at the wrong kind of document. You can't have balance when you haven't heard the other side of the story, when right. you haven't called witnesses who might be exculpatory, when you've only tried to put together a prosecutorial case. And that's why it's essential that the president's team be permitted to issue their own report at the same time the Mueller report is issued. Yeah, because there's no way you're going to get anything from Mueller other than a very biased reporter. Mueller is the attack dog. We all know this. This this is this couldn't be any more clear, right? He he's out there to go and get it. Go to, go to go to track down Trump and all of his people and and dig up dirt. He's not he's not there to to take an honest look at whether there's innocent or guilty. He is a prosecutor on the loose. He's not uh, coming at this from an even-handed perspective. So that's why because the special counsel has to make a report, although it can be kept confidential, I doubt this one will be. They have to allow, for the purpose of fairness, the Trump team to simultaneously release a report to rebut what's going to be a lot of like, well, we couldn't charge him, but I don't like the look on this guy's face when I talk to him, because that's pretty much what Mueller's probe has turned into. What the uh, special prosecutor is asking me to do is accept a fraudulent plea which I am going to have my attorneys file criminal charges on with the Department of Justice. My experience made it clear to me that the uh, political criminals are running the Department of Justice and Mueller's prosecution. I was ridiculed. My testimony was laughed at. They yawned at it. They misbehaved. And they accused me of being a liar and a fabricator, I think, which was an attack on me. They wanted to hear that I, I had a source connected to uh, Assange, or I did some way had a direct contact with Assange so they could do the connection, which would go uh, Roger Stone, Jerry Corsi, Assange, and then they'd have their basis for collusion. It was complete nonsense. No. But they would not accept when I told them that, in fact, I never met Assange. I had no contact with Assange. That was Jerry Corsi talking to me on Rising earlier today. He's going <laughs> to have his lawyer file file a complaint, a criminal complaint against Mueller and company. Now, I don't know how far he'll get with that, but it's certainly certainly one approach, certainly breaks some, some news. And this then gets to how this is all just about just, just lots and lots of perjury traps, the endless investigation that never gets us any real answers about anything that it was supposed to get and ruins lives and bankrupts people as it goes along. Uh, Corsi, if what he is saying is true, which is that he said that he didn't contact somebody when he had forwarded an email to them, 
Uh, and then he was allowed to amend that, and the prosecutors were fine with that. And then they came back later and charged him. Professor Dershowitz, I spoke to Corsi and Dershowitz today. Professor Dershowitz said that in his 50 years of legal practice, he has never heard of that before. Working in criminal defense attorney and as a and as a legal scholar, never heard of a prosecutor doing that, allowing amended testimony and then only months later bringing a criminal charge for perjury about the amended testimony. When when is it too obvious for even the leftist maniacs to withhold anymore the the judgment that we should all come to here, which is, yeah. This Mueller probe is out of control. Mueller and all the angry Democrats around him are engaged in a political witch hunt. It is true. The president is right on this one. And Representative Zeldin actually, I think, had some good perspective on this. Play 16. Yeah, Mueller's star witness has now admitted to being a liar criminally. Uh, and I'm, I'm a former prosecutor and uh, you know, looking for facts and, and elements of a crime I see so much that is missing about what gets alleged maybe uh, in the news or those uh, who want to take down the president, who are desperate, who are praying to take down the president and his family. There's so much that is missing here. It is getting away from the heart of why this special counsel was created in the first place, uh, and that was for there to be accountability and transparency with regards to whether or not the Russians interfered with the 2016 election. Uh, and, and so much of the crimes that get pursued are completely unrelated to the Trump campaign. Uh, and a lot of what is taking down these individuals, like what we're seeing today with Michael Cohen, uh, is with, with regards to lying. Yeah. This is a rogue elephant prosecution now. It's running all over the place, trampling people that have nothing to do with anything having to do with Russia. And it is completely out of control. And it needs to be stopped. But unfortunately, for political reasons, I don't think we're able to stop it. It's just going to keep on rolling with this horrific, uh, you know, horrific decision to tr uh, crush as many people as possible. Annie McCarthy spoke specifically about the Corsi situation. Play eight. If there was a crime here, they wouldn't be asking Jerry Corsi to plead guilty to false statements. The prosecutors here are not speculating. What they're doing is criminalizing Republican, Republican presidential politics and camouflaging the fact that that's what they're doing by taking a few false statements no good prosecutor builds a case this way. You don't build a case by pleading your cooperating witnesses to lying to the FBI. That's all they've got, though. This is such an essential point, and it comes from Andy because he was a practitioner as a prosecutor for so many decades. You get people to flip and you get them to take a charge that supports the narrative of what you are trying to get them to flip on. Meaning, you know, if you get somebody in a drug case, you have them plead to conspiracy or something related to, you know, a, a criminal drug conspiracy. You don't have them plead to something. You don't have you, you don't have somebody who is a part of trying to bring down a drug kingpin and you have that person plead to. Yeah, I didn't pay my taxes 10 years ago. That's not how this is supposed to work. That's just hardball tactics. That's weaponizing the law by prosecutors who are trying to get something else done. So that's what's really happening here. But, but ultimately, I mean, on the on the where this is all going, you know, this is about 
This is about the investigations and impeachment. And, and this is one giant temper tantrum from the progressive left. Now, they've never accepted Trump as the president. They never will accept Trump as the president. They, they believe that Hillary magically somehow did win the election, even though she lost it. And we all know that. And Ted Cruz, who, by the way, have you guys seen the Ted Cruz beard? John, have you seen it? Looks pretty, looks, looks pretty good. Ted Cruz with the beard, I got to say. I, th- I think the beard is an upgrade. I did uh, yet say. another vote for possible. Have you seen it, Mike? Mike's beard, by the way, is and John's beard. Yeah, you guys are both bearded. He was wow, looking I'm a little like tougher the, today. Yeah, I'm like the high school kid that can't grow the beard in our, in our whole Freedom Hut trio here. I'm the only <laughs> one that can't grow a beard, guys. This is rough. But uh, but Ted Ted Cruz. Yeah, before they start making fun of me on air, Ted Cruz said this is going to a certain place. We all know where it's going, but we might as well hear it from the man himself. Play that play that Ted Cruz noise, John. Today is a deeply divided time in our country. There's an anger, there's a rage that I I think isn't healthy. I think it isn't good for our country. In the House, I think the Democrats have unleashed some of the angriest voices on the left. I think we're going to see two years of investigations, of subpoenas, and we may well see impeachment. Um, I think that anger and rage is, is going to have to burn out some more before we can come together and enact major legislative reforms that we should be doing. Yep. I worry, though. My my concern, and it's also my assessment, is that this gets a lot worse before it gets better. I think that before the left can burn itself out in terms of, you know, essentially the, the equivalent of, you know, how a baby can cry itself to sleep? Before the left can cry itself to sleep, they are going to throw a massive tantrum. I think it's going to coincide with the election and things are going to get wild. I mean, the, the streets are going to be mayhem time and time again in many cities across the country. So that's where I think this is all going. We've got foreign policy coming up. Also, Harlan Hill will be joining to talk about Nancy Pelosi and the fight for leadership in the House. Stay with me for all that and more, team. We are now in the realm of of possible impeach, impeachable offenses, and that is much more a political question than a legal question. That shouldn't distract us from the fact that this is egregiously inappropriate behavior on the part of the president. It is all but an encouragement to tell to, to Paul Manafort to stop cooperating, to don't get involved with Mueller, to take your punishment. I will take care of you later. It's egregiously wrong but is it something that will lead to impeachment i don't think so egregiously wrong maybe leads to impeachment i mean cnn's chief legal analyst there too and one of the worst legal analysts on tv but he tells liberals he tells libs what they want to hear which is really what cnn is it's not really a it's a news organization that pretends to be nonpartisan, so that the libs think they're getting a nonpartisan message that's very partisan and exactly what they want to hear. But that's the that's the neat trick that they pull over there, or that at least they used to be able to. But on this on this idea of a Manafort pardon, I mean, they, they keep you know, there are a couple of obsessions that the left has that we can't seem to ever get around. We, we can't seem to put them to bed. One of them is this idea that there's going to be a. Uh, you know, there's going to be a pardon for Manafort. The other one is, of course, that there's going to be 
a firing of Mueller by Trump, that Trump is going to fire Mueller. He's going to mess with the Mueller probe. And I look at this, I'm like, there's no, why would he do that now? If they had the goods, any reasonable person knows this. If they had Trump nailed, this would already be out there. You'd have a very different tone from the people involved in the investigation. And, and, and you know, there have been some leaks, obviously, about what's going on here. If they really thought they were about to bring down the president of the United States, there's no way people would know about that. And they wouldn't be acting the way that they are. Why will Manafort get a pardon? The answer is I don't think Manafort should get a pardon. I mean, the guy cheated on his taxes. You know, I, I think that that's as much as I think, you know, this country, I'll just say this. And I know this is a little bit heretical for some. In Europe, when you cheat on your taxes, I know, Buck, you're pointing to Europe. What are you going to do? Say that we should all drink lattes and walk around with scarves on our necks indoors? Uh, in, in Europe, though, when you owe the government money, do you know what happens? The government takes money from you. You know They're going to get their money, but they take money from you. You know what happens in this country when you owe the government money? They lock you up in prison like you're you know a threat to people's children next door or something. I mean, it's really... You know, we, we go to a whole other a whole other level here on all this stuff. And and I just think that, you know, when when you finally look at what's happened with Manafort, you know, yeah, he's he's a shady guy. Now, I've been saying that all along, there's no question about it. But would he be facing the rest of his life in prison if he weren't tied to Trump? No. So would it would a pardon for Manafort be uh, inappropriate? Yeah, I think a pardon would be inappropriate. Would a commutation though? be inappropriate i mean his reputation's ruined he's lost so remember that means that he's still a convicted felon he still suffers the you know the consequences of that felony on his record uh but it just means that he doesn't rot in a cell pretty much i, I think a commutation can be really whatever the president decides to commute it to you know maybe he commutes a sentence to you know a, a year or two you know, i i think that's along the lines of what would be if we're really talking about justice as in giving each his due, as in as in fairness under our uh, you know under natural law and the law of the land, I I think that that's much more along the lines of what should happen. Um, but the the left, meanwhile, spins this off into conspiracy, never never land. Uh, and the conspiracy never never land just goes something like this. Oh well, here, David Axelrod is a perfect example. Play clip three. I think he's telling them to hang tough. And that he will, uh, he will take care of them at the end. He's been sending these messages consistently, Wolf. Uh, when Manafort was convicted, the day he was convicted of tax fraud and bank fraud, the president praised him as brave for not uh, breaking. And uh, Susan's point is an interesting one. I mean, you wonder now whether the whole entry into a plea bargain with the special counsel was, uh, was a game that he was running to try and get information from the special counsel about where they were going. That was then transmitted from his lawyers back to the president. But there's no doubt that the president is sending a very strong message to all these guys, do not cooperate, and, uh, and with the intimation that there'll be some relief at the end of this, at this the end of this saga. Yeah, this, this, isn't, this isn't analysis. This is idiocy on TV. People are cooperating against Trump left and right. We've been talking about how Cohen is now. His own personal attorney, okay, is cooperating against the president of the United States. 
You've had person after person in the grip of the federal government flipped by the special counsel to go after Trump. And what have they got? They got nothing. They've got nothing. And that's why all these different talking heads and you know, legal analysts and, and Democrat politicians, there's such an apparent desperation in what they're saying. There's such, an, to me, such an, an obvious and uh, honestly very frustrating pattern of whatever new information comes in, they fit it into the whole you know, rubric of whatever they, whatever they want it to be. So when they don't have information about Russia collusion, then they say it's because we haven't gotten enough information. When, when they think that Julian Assange met with, uh, what was it, Julian Assange met with Manafort, and then it turns out that that's bogus, which it is, then they say, well, maybe that didn't happen, but we still know that there must have been something shady there with WikiLeaks and the Trump team. No evidence is ever evidence that goes against their theory. And that's why you know you're dealing with zealots. You're dealing with people who uh, aren't really interested in getting to the facts of the truth here. They're much more concerned, much more concerned with uh, being right on this issue and, and taking Trump down. Now, now Trump, Trump did say, in fairness, that he's not going to take a pardon off the table. But why would he? Why give that to the other side at this point? Why not let the process play out as it is? And look, the president has, it is a, an awesome power to be able to pardon somebody from, from federal law with the stroke of a pen. It is one of the most clear exercises of executive authority in our government. And here's what Trump said about Manafort and the pardon. Play 10. No, the question was asked yesterday about pardons with respect to Paul Manafort, who it's very sad what's happened to Paul, the way he's being treated. I've never seen anybody treated so poorly. But the question was asked to me by the New York Post, and I said, no, I have not offered any pardons. And I think they asked, or whatever, would you? I said, I'm not taking anything off the table. That was done as a question from the New York Post. Not taking anything off the table doesn't mean that he's actually going to pardon anybody. Uh, it just means that he is allowing himself as the commander in chief and as the chief executive of the federal government to leave it all, leave it all and, uh, you know, see what happens. See where he wants to go with it. As I've been saying, I, I think I, so you know where I stand on this one now. And I'm going to try to get word to my people that know the people at the White House uh, that I think that a commutation for Manafort should be under consideration. Not because I don't think Manafort's a bad guy. I think he is a bad guy. But I think that he's been I'm, he's been bankrupted. And the commutation doesn't mean that he shouldn't have to make financial restitution. Uh, but, I mean, they're turning this guy upside down and all around because he's associated with Trump. I mean, this is a political targeting. So should he be a convicted felon the rest of his days? Yes. Should he spend the rest of his days in a cell? Solitary confinement? No. If you want the best people in your workplace, people you can really trust, and you also want to make sure you don't have a liability that you don't know about in your midst, you need to have background checks done. I don't care if you're a company with 10 people or 10,000 people. You want to have a company that you can work with to make sure the people you're bringing in 
are who they say they are, don't have a criminal background, don't have any problematic lawsuits or other issues that would get red flagged. And that's why you need Global Verification Network. Global Verification has been a great partner with this show now for a long time. And I know the CEO, Mark Buckman, personally, he really cares about making sure that every single case that comes to his team is handled professionally, efficiently, and discreetly. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. And just, you'll see right there, it's so easy. And ask them, reach out about how you can work with them for background checks for your company or call 877-695-1179. It is not unusual, unfortunately, for people who are estranged and uh, either formally married or just have a child together to become very destructive toward one another and to use children as weapons in that process of hurting each other and, and evening out the score. Uh, people that I know who, are, who, who deal with family court and, and have been lawyers who have been brought into these situations will tell you that it gets very, very ugly. But even with all of that as background, this is one of the uglier situations that I've heard of in a long time that involves a, a child and and parents. And it also goes right to the heart of why I talk about a very political issue on this show. And that issue is transgenderism. The idea that there are transgenders uh, out there who need to be transgender individuals who need to be uh, accorded special rights and privileges under the law because their condition or their preference or their psychological state, however you want to define it, is intrinsic and worthy of legal protection the same way that someone's you know ethnicity or skin color or, or uh, is also worthy of legal protection and protection from discrimination. In this case, though, with transgenderism, you're told that you have to be a party to falsehood. You have to celebrate falsehood. You have to engage in lies. And if you don't, by the way, you'll get kicked off of Twitter. You'll get kicked off of, of other platforms now. Misgendering, as I've told you, is now officially, officially punishable in some precincts of corporate America, some very powerful ones. But here's this particular story, and this is courtesy of the Daily Wire. This is in Texas, of all places. A father is fighting against his, uh, his ex-wife's claim that their six-year-old son, six years old, is a transgender girl. Now, the court documents have been, have been reviewed here. The Federalist also has done some very good reporting on this one. And the mother claims that this first-grade boy is really a female named Luna. The father, however, says that the son is is wearing you know boys' clothing and identifies as a boy all the time. Uh, and his name is James, and that this is just the the mother is is essentially concocting this whole situation. And and look, a six year old is very impressionable. So whatever the mother tells a six year old, uh, you know, is, is very likely to be reflected in that six year old's behavior. But the mother is now in court accusing the father of child abuse in this divorce 
and you know where this is going, because little James, little six-year-old James, is not being uh, affirmed as transgender by his father. And on that basis, this dad is being told that he should lose all parental rights. This is stunning. This is honestly horrifying. Uh, The ex-wife in this case is trying to get the husband to pay for the child's visits to a transgender-affirming therapist and transgender medical alterations. That's right. This mom, who is clearly having some serious issues here. I mean, just, I, I, don't, I don't care what anybody says. To do this to a six-year-old is child abuse. It is child abuse. And this mom trying to use this newfound cultural phenomenon of child transgenderism is the most exploitative and vicious thing I've seen in this kind of a custody dispute in a very long time. But why do I bring up these stories on air about about transgenders? You know, it, it, you start to you start to think after a while. Well, why do we even have to talk about this? And less than one percent of the population identifies as transgender, um, and I think it's more like one tenth of one percent. I mean, it's, it's a very small percentage of the U.S. population identifies as transgender, and so this is an issue that is much more in conversation than it than you come into contact with in your day to day life. But we have reached the point now where this is resulting in in policies and law, and that there are things happening to people in their day to day lives because of this. And I think we set a very bad precedent when we have laws and policies that are fundamentally built on a falsehood and on a kind of moral bullying that in this case is is the result of people not wanting to seem like they're not accepting enough or they're not, you know, they're not open-minded enough. And so, sure, you know, I'm, I'm fine with transgenderism, really. For six-year-olds, this is the left pushing the outer boundaries of how far it can take its cultural power. This is a left that no longer has a real civil rights struggle to wage, and so they are creating artificial ones in order to mobilize the leftist collectivist mind. Because as Alinsky will tell you, once you have people mobilized on one issue, You can use that mobilization for any other issue you choose. Once they are organized, now you have an organized unit that can be deployed. This idea that a child who is six years old could, at the age of eight, go through hormonal therapy that would unalterably affect the rest of his, and that's right, this is a him, it is a six-year-old boy, the rest of his life, is appalling and this is why people like me who are you know i try to be as accepting and and i know you feel the same way we 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 take people for who they are we take people as individuals you know and and our our first obligation to each other is kindness some of you would say our first obligation to each other is you know 
decency and honor. Okay, fine. One of our main obligations to each other is, is kindness. And I don't think it's kind to allow children to be sterilized by parents caught up in an emotional moment and what is clearly a cultural fad. The reason that the academic report that was published at Brown University on transgenderism as a contagion in society. That's right, people are more likely to become transgender when other people around them are transgender. The reason that was so upsetting to the left was because it goes to this as a psychological condition that some may have a precondition toward. And once you establish it as that, it is something that needs to be treated as a condition, not celebrated and, as they say, affirmed through surgery and hormones for a little child, a six-year-old kid. This is when I say things like the left has lost their minds, when I say things like they're, uh, you know, they're delusional, this is the kind of stuff. Because if we had right now, we could set up a debate between yours truly and a whole bunch of left-wingers from MSNBC and HuffPo and Daily Co's only... They would all say that the mom is right. That the mom who wants to, to do the gender affirmation surgery on the six-year-old boy that everybody else thinks is male and that the, and the boy says that he feels male, they would side with her. Because not only is this a fad for the people who can catch on to it and decide they're also transgender, it is very much in vogue on the left to support this issue as a form of tremendous virtue signaling. A lot of these progressive mega companies are run by lefties who don't share your values, don't share anything with you really. And oh, by the way, they also like to share your information with third parties. They make money off of this. I've got an idea. Try an email service that fits with your ideals and your worldview. iPatriots.us iPatriots.us is a new conservative alternative to liberal-based email services. iPatriots.us is secure, private, and includes more of what you want without all the ads and spam. 30 gigs of cloud storage, larger attachment sizes, and your files are safe with iPatriots antivirus encryption. Uh, iPatriots.us won't sell your information or support liberal agenda items like most free email providers. Show you're a patriot. Go to iPatriots.us now. It's compatible with almost all mobile devices. Choose your membership program, input your desired iPatriots email address during checkout, and enter promo code BUCK, that's B-U-C-K, for a 10% savings during your first year of membership. You want to talk about undocumented and the way they torture the DACA children. I'm an Italian-American. I came from poor Italian-Americans who came here. You know what they called Italian-Americans? Back in the day, they called them WAPs. You know what WAP stood for? Without papers. I'm undocumented. You want to deport an undocumented person? Start with me, because I'm an undocumented person. I am the governor of New York, and I am a moron. I am trying to make a political point and in doing so and saying something very stupid and untrue. I also deliver all speeches in this tone of voice because I'm assuming that most of you are hard of hearing. 
No, you're not undocumented. And that's a nonsense term. A nonsense term. Why can't the left just have an honest discussion with the country about what they really want with immigration, which is just if you want to come here and you're poor and you don't speak English, you don't have any skills, we'll take you. No more limits, nothing. Just you got to stop and check in. Oh, I know. It's not technically open borders if you have to check in, right? What is the limit? We take in a million a year. Why not make it 10 million a year? Is, oh, is that going to fundamentally transform the country? Great. Let's just go for it. Let's just let's just open it up, man. Anybody wants to come here. What's that going to do to our welfare state? We've got a trillion dollar a year taxpayer supported welfare state in this country. Do we do we have to take in all the world's poor? Let me ask you this. If, in fact, somebody in any part of the world, anywhere in the world knows they can come to America legally without going through any process whatsoever and just start signing up for food stamps and housing, would they do it? I think a lot of them would. I think a lot of them would. And, and are you excited about paying for that? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to guess not. I know I'm not excited about paying for it. But here we have Cuomo, who still thinks perhaps he will run for president, even though I'm pretty sure there's not a single person, including his own staff, who could handle the thought of four years of Cuomo's dumb speeches. No one needs 10 bullets to kill a deer. Nobody needs to listen to Cuomo to know how dumb he is. <laughs> it's just crazy, man. I can't. How is this guy the governor of one of the biggest states in the country? Well, it's his last name. It's a family thing. I, I hate I hate political nepotism. I really do. I, I can't. I hate it on the right and I hate it on the left. Yes, I know Bush. You know, I think we could have done better than Bush. All right. Let's just say it. He was okay. He was okay. He had the political connections to win, so we kind of went with it, but... Uh, Cuomo is really not somebody who, uh, not somebody who should be in any position of authority whatsoever. E even Democrats, I know, don't really like this guy. But this is what I mean. No, they're all saying undocumented now, and that is just. Uh, you'll notice that they they've changed the language that we use because undocumented, just like unauthorized, all it takes is a little action by. The people in power and, oh, you'll get authorized. Oh, you'll be documented. No problem. No problem. Uh, we should be very wary of this. And, and don't allow them to bully you on the issue of, uh, of what language to use. I, I've seen people, and I, I'm always like, bring it. I've seen people who, with the moment that I say illegal alien, I can tell they want to correct me. And I just look at them I'm like, don't. Don't think you're going to bring that weak sauce in here. Don't bring that JV nonsense my way. The, the legal term in the federal code is illegal alien. If the Democrats want to change what the federal criminal code says about people who are in the country illegally to unauthorized, fine, they have to do that. They have to actually go through that step. Until then, I'm going to refer to what the law says. I'm not going to go with whatever make-believe terminology the left embraces really as a form of moral blackmail, which is what is at the heart of so much of what they do on, on all of these issues. Right? They, they're engaged in a form of moral blackmail. And I just wish that we could have more of you know, blackmail in the sense that if you don't agree with them, you're mean, you're racist, you're heartless, you're bad. We never really get to have a discussion about, well, what's... What's the right thing to do here? What should we do? What would you say you do here? 
All right, so we've got the G20 coming. I'll get into some more foreign policy in, in a moment. Uh, Saudi Arabia, Russia, Ukraine stuff. Um, the single, for me, the single biggest possible outcome from the G20, and and I think it's it's clear, I think this is by a mile, is the conversation between uh, Xi Jinping of China and President Trump. Trump is sounding optimistic on this. I am hoping that they can make some headway. I am I am not cautiously optimistic. I am pessimistic. I think that the administration might be underestimating how central Chinese predatory economic policy is to the uh, to the central committee's uh, overall strategy there. Uh, or the standing committee is actually what you call their version of the central committee, the standing committee. Uh, which is where the real power in China lies. I, I think that they're going to be slow, if not impossible, to move off of this until they really feel like they have absolutely no choice economically. And they're just not there yet. Yeah, China's market's down somewhere in the 20 to 30% range this year. It's been a bad year for China. And I know because I'll tell you, I'm, I've been a little invested in China. I, I mean, you know, monetarily, not emotionally. And uh, it has not been a good year to do that. So this is why I, I do not share with you any of my... I, I do not give financial a- advice about stock tips on air because I got my own problems. But Trump and she at the G20, which is really just a photo op for a lot of these world leaders and, and a chance for the international press corps to do a lot of chin-wagging and preening. Uh, but this is where it gets interesting. Here's what Trump said, play 11. I think we're very close to doing something with China, but I don't know that I want to do it because what we have right now is billions and billions of dollars coming into the United States in the form of tariffs or taxes. So I really don't know, but I will tell you that I think China wants to make a deal. I'm open to making a deal, but frankly, I like the deal we have right now. I'm hoping that that's a negotiation ploy. Remember, Trump said he's a great negotiator. And negotiations are a form of, of intellectual combat. Whether you're negotiating on the price of a house or an apartment you're going to rent, or you know, there, there's an aggression and, and there's, uh, there's acting in ways that you know, overstates or understates your position. And there's a lot of, you know, there's feints and, and maneuvers and head fakes. I mean, you know, negotiation is not just sitting down and, yeah, let's just all agree on everything. So I'm hoping that Trump is able to uh, use, uh, you know, deception. Deception is a uh, wait. De- deception and theatricality are powerful. Remember that from uh, 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 from uh, what is that? Batman Begins, the first one, which was the best of all of those, by the way. And don't even get me started on how overrated the second and third Christopher Nolan Batman movies are, or we will be here all night. Anyway, you can come at me on this one. Everyone can come at me on this one. I know. I know. I'm. I'm like standing alone on the on the hilltop here yelling that the third Batman movie is bizarre, makes no sense, the writing is corny, and it's just a discombobulated mess. But that's all right. Everyone can, you know, tell me, oh, I made a billion dollars, Buck. You don't know anything. Whatever. Uh, but Trump, Xi, China, this is where there could be some, well, I, I think the news is going to be bad. I'll tell you. I think he's going to come back and say, you know, we'll talk again in the future, and you're going to see even more disruption in the markets because of it. Uh, Chinese market's going to take a bath. American market's going to be feeling the heat on this one a little bit. So uh, I, I wish it were not so, but we're, we're, not in a, we're not in an especially strong place 
in dealing with uh, dealing with this whole situation. We're not in a, in a great position right now vis-a-vis China. But more on foreign policy in just a moment. No, we're an oil country, and uh, we need American energy. And, and by the way, uh, American energy production, it went up every year I was president. And, you know, that whole suddenly America's like the biggest oil producer and the biggest guy. Uh, that was me, people. I just wanted you to... <laughs> You know, we could also go back to when Obama said that under his under his, you know, plans, the price of coal, uh, coal plant energy would or energy in general would just skyrocket. Remember, remember his words when he said that? Uh, but I, I, you know, of all the things for Obama to take credit for, this would be like if there was a huge reduction in CO2 that for some reason naturally occurred over the next 10 years. I mean, let's say CO2 levels in the atmosphere went down to, you know, half what they currently are, uh, which wouldn't matter. And I know it wouldn't matter. But hey, but just to say that happened. And then President Trump was walking around like, yeah, cut all the CO2. Could you imagine what the left would say? Because, you know, he's he doesn't really believe in climate change. He's he's an opponent of this very thing. Right. He's an opponent of it, or at least they say he is. And Obama was openly an opponent of this. It would be like Hillary Clinton if the coal industry had a had a big comeback, which coal industry is still doing really, really poorly. Unfortunately, West Virginia is in in bad shape and they're still shedding jobs there. But this is the, the natural progression of the energy industry is is creative destruction. I mean, there are some energies that are some energy sources that are becoming more efficient, more affordable, that are just better. And as I've been saying, if you look at it, we, we have been getting more, our energy sources have become more efficient, less polluting, and just better uh, over time, just like all the rest of our technology, right? Just like all the rest of the, of the uh, scientific exploration that we're, uh, we've been embarking on. We, we move the football field down the ball. No, that's not right, Bob. We move the ball down the field. There we go. Well done. Well done, son. Uh, but the former president of Shell Oil and uh, producer Mike found this one. I love this. He he responded. You know, Obama was not just taking credit for the booming oil production, but was smug about it. You know, was really you know, ha ha. I'm so great. Look at me. I'm the one that's. I'm the reason that all this is has been going. You know, your way. And uh, the former president of Shell, who I think knows. A thing or two about oil, as Shell is one of the largest oil companies in the world. Here's what he said in response to Obama taking credit for increased U.S. oil production. Drop it. 18. The the facts are the facts. And yes, the production did increase throughout his term. But frankly, he had nothing to do with it. This was production in states like Texas, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Colorado, uh, North Dakota in particular. And these were all state decisions made with industry applications for permits. The federal government had no role. And if anything, he was trying to frustrate the efforts by taking federal lands off of the availability list, putting them out, you know, just no more drilling. He, he shut down the Gulf of Mexico for a period of six months, changed the regulations. He also never approved the Keystone XL pipeline after dangling all the potential customers for eight years. And it was in the eighth year when he said, no, no Keystone pipeline. And so I would say that he was not a leader when it comes to energy. Rexed. 
Obama got wrecked in that one, as the kids would say. Just, just got a ride on the school bus from the former president of Shell Oil. Just because he knows, he knows, he goes down. That was why so many of us were just jaw hitting the table yesterday when Obama came out and said that. We're like, come on, man! Of all, it's one thing to be, oh, I'm taking, I'm going to take credit for the Trump economy. Yeah, we know it's kind of a a standard, dishonest, but expected political move at this point you know try to take credit for oh why is it the gdp is so much stronger now than it was under obama well they don't want to answer that one but uh you know try to take credit for things that that you obviously were insufficient in in promoting in your own time but but to take credit for oil it's it's just though it's so indicative of how there is a a widespread delusion, and it's from the top down. It's from Obama himself through all of his supporters about the greatness of the Obama presidency. Now, it used to be for me that I could say conservatives aren't about individuals. They're about ideas. I think that Trump has created a shift in that thinking, politically speaking. I think that that is a shift that has happened, and we need to accept and understand it we don't necessarily have to embrace it you do whatever you want but it's definitely there uh, where you know we used to i don't think anybody who voted for bush i mean i i voted for bush but gosh back when i was a sophomore freshman in college can't remember the year now um i never thought that i was voting for somebody who was a movement unto himself i thought that you know he'd be pretty good in the role and i liked the policies and he was a vessel for the policies with trump he is really the vessel of the ideas themselves in many ways. And, and also, you, we, we support President Trump, those of us who do. I know it's most of you listening to this show because of the effectiveness that he has in the political fight to get these policies done. And by the way, part of being effective is stopping the other side. So, you know, every day when I feel like I'm going to get a little too hard on the Trumpster and say, where's my wall and what happened? I say, well, you know, there this isn't an excuse for everything and this isn't a a uh, a panacea for my political frustrations but i do have to say it's not hillary you know i do have to say hold on a second what happened is that she didn't become president so i'm thankful for that i i believe that that is something that we need to we need to keep in mind uh, but you, yes we we understand that it shouldn't be about you know, the, it shouldn't be about individuals and a, and a cult of personality around them. Uh, that all said, the cult of personality around Obama is still in full effect, and it is impervious to facts and reason. On, on every, you cannot criticize Saint Obama to a leftist without them looking at you not like you're being unfair to his legacy, but that you are crazy. Saint Obama was perfect. How could you think these things? Meanwhile, as much as I say that conservatism has now, or the right has now uh, galvanized behind Trump, you're not going to find, at least I, I don't think a lot of people who would say, yeah, Trump, I love every tweet. I think everything he does is perfect. I love that he hired his family members to be senior advisors in the White House. I think it's great that he occasionally makes fun of people in a way that is demeaning of them and not their ideas. You know, no. I think a lot of conservatives would say, look, it's, he's imperfect. He is an imperfect vessel. But we take the bits of bad with a lot of good, and on balance, we're for him. 
I think that's just a much more, one, mature, and two, realistic approach to these things. I really do. I just think that we should all expect that. That, yes, we understand the the ups and the downs of politicians and of political causes and not create a false reality. But the Obama oil thing, I mean, the reason this really got under my skin so much is because it wasn't, he's not trolling. I don't think he's trolling. He, he really believes this. He believes his own, you know what, his own BS about how awesome he was and all of his supporters and voters that I come into contact with. I can't speak about every single one of them, but all the ones that I know, they believe it too. They are fully on board for the mythology of Obama as the greatest president in the history of the United States, and everything he did was awesome. And that's just not healthy. It's not a good place for any sentient adult to be in. It's just not a, not a position that I think is, is intellectually, should be intellectually sustainable, but it's an emotional position more than anything else. And it's really a form of, of virtue signaling, as we know. Let's talk a little foreign policy here for a moment. I, I, I'm wondering when the, the, Washington, the Washington class is going to get tired of um, doing all this grandstanding on, on the Khashoggi issue. When will someone tell me what is acceptable for, uh, for a response to this? I, I, I saw, you know, Rand Paul had a, had, a, had a big statement. You know, he's, he's and I respect Rand Paul. I, I actually think that if we could, he'll never win, so it's a bad idea. But if we ever got to a place where Rand Paul would be president, I actually think he'd do a really good job because... He does not want uh, to meddle in everyone's lives. And, and I don't think he has the same level of just mega ego that many of these other politicians do. I think that he kind of, yeah, he, you know, he likes the sound of his own voice. All politicians do. But I think he also has a, a certain innate humility about him. Anyway, that's just, that's just my read on him. But on this Saudi Arabia thing, he, he's starting to worry me a little bit because he said the... You know, he's been saying that he thinks this is insufficient, what the administration has done. Okay, well, I need to, I need to start hearing about what is sufficient. And, and I don't like hearing this kind of stuff from, from Lindsey Graham, who, Lindsey, you know, you were great in that one moment. And now I think he's, I think, I think Lindsey's just gonna, he's gonna be like, Buck, when you needed me, I was there for you. You know, I was, I, I actually, I can't do a good Lindsey, Lindsey Graham impression. I got to work on that one. That would that one sounded way more like some other part of the South or something. I wasn't, and so many of you are actual Southerners, so you can break this all down pretty much better than I can. Uh, but when Lindsay, I was trying to have a little fake Buck Lindsay conversation there. It didn't really work out. But yes, he was there for us when we needed him on the Kavanaugh nomination. No question about it. And and he threw himself in at a time when it was look. He saw an opportunity to stand for what was right and to do it in front of twenty million people, and he did it. And I don't know why other Republicans on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate couldn't do it, but Lindsey did it. So, but I, you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of extra swagger in Lindsey's step now because of that. And I just, I just wish that you know he would uh, just back off the interventionist, hardline foreign policy a little bit. Here, here's what he says about uh, Saudi Arabia support. Play, play twelve. 
I changed my mind because I'm pissed. The way the administration's handled the Saudi Arabia event is just not acceptable. The briefing today did not help me at all better understand the role that MBS played in the killing of Mr. Kosogi. Institutionally, we have a right to be briefed by the CIA. How can I make an informed decision as a United States Senator about whether or not the Crown Prince is complicit in a murder if I don't have access to the intelligence that I read about in the paper? That's unacceptable for me. Look, Senate has oversight, and, and they should be able to see whatever they want. So I'm, I'm wondering how this is going to play out. That said, Mattis, who's the Secretary of Defense, who can see everything, and Pompeo, who was a CIA director and is now Secretary of State, can see everything. And they've made it very clear that they do not believe there is a smoking gun or a, a direct causal link between Mohammed bin Salman and the Khashoggi murder. I also think that a lot of a lot of people in this country are kind of sick of making everyone else's problems our problems. Um, and, and, and I think that that's a, you know, that, that's not a popular, not, not a popular position to take right now. Um, but it's one that we need to be honest about. I don't think that we should upend our policy with Saudi Arabia because of what they did with a non-citizen journalist in a foreign country. I'm, I'm sorry, but I just, I don't, I don't buy. We've already put, by the way, we've already put Magnitsky sanctions in place. The Magnitsky sanctions named for Sergei Magnitsky, by the way, Red Notice, the book that was written about this by Browder. It's a very good book. He talks about what happened to Sergei. The Russians tortured and, and, and killed him in prison. Uh, and there's a whole backstory to why it had to do with a dispute over money with a, a, a Browder's Bill Browder's fund that he set up in Russia was kind of an emerging markets growth fund. And I can tell you the whole story another time. I re- I've, I've uh, voraciously uh, read Red Notice. And, uh, it, but the Magnitsky Act is there so that you can take action against human rights abusers by hitting them in the pocketbook. You know, we're not going to drop bombs on everybody when they're engaging human rights abuses, but, you know, we'll hit them in the pocketbook. They've already put Magnitsky sanctions in place. So it seems to me that the only thing that would be acceptable to them the only thing that they would be okay with is if somehow we took the position that, you know, we should punish the, the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia. That is not a good idea. That is not a good idea. Uh, and, and that also then brings me to this uh, G, the G20 summit. Uh, the G20 summit is uh, is about to happen it's you know whatever it is some hours away and the big news about it is uh, that trump has decided that he will not meet with putin initially they were saying that there was going to be a putin trump tete-a-tete uh, now we are being told that that is not going to happen let me just say I- i'm not nearly as worked up about this as a lot of other people okay fine i mean you know this is not because of khashoggi obviously the russians have nothing to do we can't blame the russians for that one this is about the Russians seizing a few Ukrainian ships. And I spoke to a Ukrainian ambassador today at some length, and he said, first of all, Trump has been great, has been great on uh, U.S.-Ukraine policy, which, you know, you're not going to hear that from other places. You're not, you're not going to be told about how, you know, fantastic Trump has been on Ukraine policy from the media, because by being good on Ukraine— 
good on Ukraine. No, but by being you know strong on Ukrainian foreign policy, it's clearly showing that he's not in the pocket of the Russians because Ukraine is way more important to Russia as an issue than it is to us. Way more important. And so for Trump to give them Javelin anti-tank missiles, which the Obama administration refused to do, refused to take them. And you could say, oh, Buck, what what difference? Sorry, it's a second Hillaryism I've used this week. But what difference at this point does it make? And I would say it makes a big difference, makes a big difference. And I was told that by the Ukrainian ambassador today. He says, we really needed those missiles, man. Now Russian tanks can't overrun our positions in the east. And they got to keep an eye on, you know, what they do with their armor. It's been a bit of a game changer in this low intensity conflict in eastern Ukraine. And the Ukrainians are getting, you know, naval training from us. They're getting all kinds of military assistance. And this is all in the Trump administration. But, you know, you're not going to hear about this from other people. They're not going to talk to you about it. They would much, much rather... Uh, lecture us all on how Trump is in Putin's pocket. And did you know about the Moscow Tower deal? Trump is worth billions of dollars. I mean, he's got business interests all over the world. When are they going to figure this out? Well, I think they have figured it out, but they've got anti-Trump hysteria. Whenever you use public Wi-Fi, you're putting personal information out there that the bad guys can pretty easily get. I've actually seen how this is done. And let me tell you something. Once you realize how vulnerable you are online, especially on public Wi-Fi or using someone else's service you don't know about, you're going to really want to protect yourself. That's why you need ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN protects your private information online by anonymizing your public IP address and it encrypts, and this is critical, it encrypts your data. ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. So this is just kind of an insurance policy for all your online activity that you need to have. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck to learn more. Endorse a narrow politics of respectability that shames Palestinians for resisting, for refusing to do nothing in the face of state violence and ethnic cleansing. To commit to political action, grassroots action, local action, and international action that will give us what justice requires. And that is a free Palestine from the river to the sea. That last line there, that was Mark Lamont Hill, that last line from the river to the sea has resulted in uh, Mr. Hill getting fired from CNN. He has been summarily fired. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty quick turnaround on this one. Uh, Hill was giving comments at the United Nations there. I, I, I saw this before and and last night, this was just beginning to get, you know, just beginning to get uh, a, a lot of attention because here's the here's the truth of it. From the river to the sea is well known as a phrase used by Hamas in particular to indicate that the only acceptable situation is that the Jewish state be eradicated and that Palestine be from the river 
to the sea. I mean, this would be something along the lines of saying, well, you know, we need to clear out a certain area of a certain country for, you know, Lebensraum. I mean, there are certain there are certain things that if you were to say there would be an indication of, oh, you mean something else. As some of my friends on the conservative side pointed out uh, last night about this, I believe Charles Cook among them, although it might have been Ben Dominich. I get some of my my uh, brilliant conservative colleagues uh, confused at times. But uh, this is not a dog whistle. It's just a really loud whistle. Now, is it possible? Uh, is it possible? Actually, I think that Charles took this took more of this position, which I agree with. I think Ben was saying that it was just a straight up whistle that Mark Lamont Hill uh, was in a in rhetorical flourish. And I believe that these were prepared remarks. He was reading them. But in, in, a, in a sense, a rhetorical flourish he has heard that phrase, and, and maybe he used it without fully understanding the connotations. I, I'm, I'm actually, I, I would not find that impossible to believe. And I am inclined, as somebody who does three hours of radio Monday through Friday and has now for, gosh, guys, it's going on, it's going on six or seven years now. I've been doing this for quite a while. Um but I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt and and then and then some not just the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, if there's any if there's any good faith reason to believe that something was a uh, a mistake, an error, someone misspoke. I like to give that leeway because one day I know I will expect or at least ask for that leeway in response. I also I, I don't like it when you uh, have conservatives in particular calling for scalps. I, I do not like this. I think that it's uh, a bad precedent. I think that it's it puts out there uh, in a sense. Now it's both sides do it. But I also understand the other argument here is, well, if we don't force the left to live by the rules they impose on us, this is never going to change. You know, it's almost like a trade war. It, it really is. In the speech war is like a trade war. In a trade war, when somebody puts tariffs on you, you put tariffs on them. And when you are trying to get them to stop, you are suffering, they are suffering. But if you don't put tariffs, you just are the only one who suffers, right? So I think in, in this analogy, you know, conservatives feel like after a while, we're sick of being the only ones that have to pay a price for the speech police. We want speech policing to stop. Uh, that said, I, you know, I, I always have two minds on this one. Uh, you know, Mark Lamont Hill is a guy that I, I will say I know a bit, actually. I've, I've done some I've done a fair amount of uh, CNN in the past, as you may know, and I've appeared with him. In fact, he used to do red eye back in the day and off camera. He can be a uh, a, a very a very engaging and, and actually charming fellow when he wants to be I mean, off camera. He can be, uh, you know, pretty disarming, and and he seems like a pretty good guy. On camera, I think he acts like a, a smug jerk. Uh, he, he he doesn't approach the other side with any sense of good faith. He's one of these people that goes on TV to humiliate and to destroy, but he doesn't really have the knowledge base and the expertise on some subject matter uh, that they put him on TV for. Uh, that all said, you know, CNN has been. Um, CNN has been, uh, in some of these cases, taking action. They got rid of Reza Aslan, who 
it is a, a huge jerk. Um, I, I've actually haven't I have not debated him, but Reza Aslan is a huge jerk. Uh, Mark Lamont Hill have gotten rid of him. They've had to get rid of a few people for for comments. My concern, though, is that this doesn't then turn into a change in the environment that that now that the left feels like, well, fine, we'll all you know, we'll all live under these rules of speech policing. But the it's a then it turns into a war of attrition. And guess what? We're going to lose on the right far more people than they are because the standard is not applied evenly. So all we have right now are conservatives saying, well, you know, sometimes when a, a a leftist goes way out of line, yeah, they should be fired. And what that means in response is conservatives are going to say, I'm sorry, liberals are going to say every time a conservative even gets close to the line, every time a conservative says anything, look what just happened in Mississippi with this election. I mean, the, you, you had... Uh, Hyde Smith say that, you know, she loves some guy so much that she'd, you know, sit, ne- sit in front row with him at a public hanging. I don't think that when she said that, her thought process was, let me say something that's going to create a huge political liability for myself right before I'm trying to be a senator from Mississippi. And uh, I'm going to reach back into the very uh, damaged and and uh, tragic past of, of the state of Mississippi with regard to race relations and try to stir things up. I don't think that was her thought process at all. How many of these stories do we have to see of Twitter, Facebook, and others banning conservatives before we all get the message? We're not really welcome on those platforms the way we thought we were. Well, what about starting a new platform? What about finding a place where you know you will not be subject to the whims and editorial decisions of the left? Snippy.com is the answer. If you've looked at Snippy.com in the past and left, you need to look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com, expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. You see, it's an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. It's a place where everyone's free to express thoughts and share their opinions. And by the way, totally free to join, folks. Open to everyone. So go check it out. Set up your account today. Snippy.com. And let your opinion matter, all right? No shadow banning, no suppression of thought. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features, also available in the Apple App Store and now available for Android, Snippy, your new alternative social media. Harlan is in the house, everybody. That's right, Harlan Hill is with us now. He is a consultant for all things political. He's a GOP strategist, but he actually does strategy for the GOP. He's also tied in with the Trump campaign. You see him on Fox News. He is a connected man in the swamp. Mr. Harlan, great to have you. Great to be with you, my friend. So we got a, we got a bunch of things I wanted to get to with you today. First of all, you know, the, the, the Pelosi speaker fight. Do you take anything from this? Because there was a lot of news coverage about this today, maybe kind of slow news cycle stuff. But to me, on the one hand, you've got all these people on the left talking about how they're so diverse and so young and hip. And on the other, they trot out Pelosi and it's like, wow, you know, 2006 called and they want their crappy legislative policy back. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, look, there's there's one um, argument for Nancy Pelosi, which is her ability to whip the caucus. And she's proven in the past that she can, you know, maintain control of a Democratic caucus that really represents a, a big tent party. And uh, that's no small feat. As we saw in the 2016 election, there are really multiple Democratic parties, and they're very, very fragmented. And they have egos and um, outside influences 
that are competing to take to arrest control of it. And so what this represents to me is that while the establishment in the Republican Party has been vanquished by President Trump, the establishment in the Democratic Party, the one that has been in control largely for decades, for decades, isn't going anywhere. That's what this means. And in terms of Pelosi's stuff, I don't know if you've you've caught all this because there's been so much. It's been a saturate the airwaves Pelosi news cycle. But our whole, you know, we're we're going to we're going to be a, a check on the executive branch. We're going to be adding balance to government, but we're going to do it with dignity. Do, do you, is there any doubt in your mind? I mean, I, I've, I've been asking some folks, I actually asked a Republican congressman today, uh, you know, are, are you sure she's going to allow for impeachment proceedings to go forward? And some people seem like they're waffling on that. I feel like Pelosi's going to have to impeach. Yeah, you know, what? I, I'm going to I'm going to counter you on this one. I think that she's uh, savvy enough to know that if we devolve into a fight on Russian collusion that they cannot substantiate for another two years, it's going to spell doom for the Democrats in 2020. I mean, they need a real economic message. They need to demonstrate to the American people that this Democratic Party, you know, has some underlying principles and they have the ability to govern. And uh, if we don't see any of that and all the American people, all the American voter sees is more Russian collusion without substantiation, they're going to lose them. Uh, now, if there's some bombshell that comes out and, you know, President Trump's like paying off Russian hackers or something crazy, well, then, you know, it's a different different question. But, yeah, but, but what if, but, but Harlan, I mean, and, and I, I hear you on that. Yeah. I go back and forth on this, so yeah. I'm definitely persuadable. And look, yeah. I'm asking you to predict the future. And, and I always say on this show, nobody yeah. can predict the future. But, you know, I, I would also say this. I don't think that it's necessarily going to be Russian collusion. I think that they may there may be a groundswell from within the the progressive caucus and and the sort of the wackadoo anti-Trumpers in in the Democrat Party to go for uh, you know paying off Stormy Daniels or or you know the emoluments clause or just whatever they'll come up with something but you know you you, you may be right I mean maybe because I, I think that if they go as you said without something completely you know like aliens landing and all of a sudden we've got a real problem. Uh, if they do go for impeachment without real grounds to do so, I think Trump sails to re-election. I think it's not even close. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, um, and, and that's why I think that, you know, the Democrats at, at this point, um, I, I, I spoke to this a minute ago. It's a fragmented party. And there are probably 30 to 40 Democrats that are hardcore, up in arms. All they care about is taking a swing at the president. Now, the rest of them really don't like the president at all, but they're a little bit more pragmatic. They're a little bit more moderate. And I, and I hope that they're going to rise to the occasion and, and look to, to govern um, and look to demonstrate to the American people that the Democratic Party is viable, because that isn't the number one criticism. When you look at voters, they don't know what the Democratic Party represents anymore. This is the, their chance to rearticulate that. And um, I think Nancy Pelosi is smart enough to know that if she wants to hold on to the House in 20 and to expand their reach, um, you know, they need to go beyond, you know, this nonsense. But I, I hear you. I mean, it's probably if they do, it's not going to be Russian collusion. It's going to be something else obscure, which is exactly what we've seen come out of the Mueller investigation. They haven't been able to get anybody in Russian collusion or anything related to the campaign remotely. Right. It's it's about, you know, tax evasion or, you know, taxi medallions and just nonsense that has nothing to do with Trump. Um, but I think I think Pelosi is more savvy than that. She is kind of savvy. You know, I'll, I'll give it to her in yeah. terms of the way that she's been able to wrangle all these Democrats. And, you know, there's a lot of 
There's a lot of uh, of dirty fighters in the Democrat Congress, yeah. but somehow Pelosi, she's the king of the dirty fight or the queen rather of the dirty well, fighters. Uh, don't want to misgender the the, uh, the regent. Um, but l- let's now get on to something else. I mentioned this yesterday. We didn't have you to give the first hand perspective. But uh, who is who is this guy? Philippe Reigns. Why is he walking around Fox News in shorts? And and we can't say what he said to you on air, Harlan. So just we got to keep that in mind. Right. But like, give us a flavor of what the heck happened between you and a top Hillary Clinton aide yesterday at Fox. Right. So just to paint a picture here, Philippe Reigns is arguably one of Hillary Clinton's longest and most influential advisors. She'd been marginalized a little bit in 2016, but he's he's been omnipresent for a long time. And he's a big deal, okay, in, in, in Clinton world. And I was on air with him, with Trish Regan on Fox Business, and it was a relatively tame debate. Like, you know, I get heated sometimes with people, and I, and I could understand why somebody might be mad off air about, you know, how – how he thinks got, but in this case, it was relatively tame. Well, I get out of the studio and I'm walking back to the green room to get my code. Cold in DC, really cold in DC. And uh, he he finds me. He he's like he's like waiting for me as soon as I get out. And and I can't I can't quote what he said, but uh, he immediately started accosting me and following me through the newsroom, yelling and screaming like a buffoon. Like it, it, it was it was unhinged. And Wait, but, but what, what was this? What do you think? What do you think triggered him so much? I mean, he's uh, got to be used to. First of all, the guy's showing up to the Fox News bureau in the middle of winter time, wearing a suit up top and shorts down below like a crazy person. We start with that. <laughs> but I mean, to, to go look, I, I've been in some situations where after the segment, I think people at home don't necessarily know this. Sometimes it, it gets real. Like sometimes after the segment, you're telling yeah. somebody four letter words when the mics get pulled off. But did what's yeah. what got this guy so set off? Well, the only thing that I can think is that during the interview, um, he kept interrupting Trish Regan, and I got really tired of it. And I thought he was very rude, and he'd gone too far. And this is the only thing that I think might have set him off. And I said, uh, Philippe, why don't you be quiet and let Trish Regan school you? <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure... <laughs> that, um, that set him off. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. You know what, Harlan? I think we might have found him, my friend. I think. Uh, I think we might have seen that, what. It was pretty tame. It, it was tame, what? otherwise. It was fine. You know. Yeah. Well, crazy. to come up to you and start yelling about that's obviously maniacal. But by the way, you know, I was just uh, talking before about how Mark Lamont Hill has been fired, but kind of in a you know he's summarily terminated by CNN because of his from the river to the sea comment at the United Nations. Uh, First of all, what do you think about this? I mean, do you think pundits should get fired for that kind of stuff? Or do you think that there should be a pretty long leeway? Yeah, you know, traditionally, I'm against going after scalps. I don't really do it. I don't call for people to get fired. Um, There are some rare instances where I take on a different tone. If someone's acting legitimately racist, or anti-Semitic, or they've, they've clearly crossed a line in their behavior deliberately. They didn't misspeak or wasn't misinterpreted or construed by people taking things out of context. If, they, if they've said something and they actually believe that, that's racist or anti-Semitic or something otherwise, then I kind of have a different feeling about that. And in this case, he was clearly uh, saying some anti-Semitic things. He, um, you know, the river to the sea comment is, is not something that he invented. It has its own connotations and it's about wiping Israel off the map. Um, you know, the call for, for violence against Israel 
it, there's no room for that. I don't accept that. In the modern Democratic Party with the boycott and divestment movement, um, that's kind of mainstream. And so I'm not at all surprised that he felt safe saying these things. Um, because you can go on any college campus in America today, that's mainstream. Like being anti-Semitic and going after Israel and, and seeking to wipe them off the face of the earth is mainstream in that world. And so he felt safe saying it in an academic setting. And CNN, to their credit, I can't, be- I can't believe they did it, but to their credit, they dismissed this guy. Uh, I give them credit, like credit where it's due. Uh, CNN deserves some credit here. I know it's it's hard for you to say it. It's hard for me to hear it, but I, yeah. I guess yeah. I guess we, you know, it is it is what it is. Gotta be honest about it. So there you have it, uh, Harlan. Anything else in your radar? Anything you want to tell the folks about before we uh, let you get back to saving saving the Trump administration? Well, I'm just excited to see what comes out of the G20 this week. Um, you know, the president put a lot on his agenda in terms of um, locking down trade agreements with China. It, it's going to be in a really really important week. And Harlan, since we got you on air, so now you're on the hot seat, you know, it has come up that there, there have been requests for you to guest host perhaps over this uh, holiday season on this very radio show. You're going to have to say yes. This is like when the, you know, the guy pops the question, like she has to say yes, right? You'll, you'll guest host once or twice. You could always rescind this later. Anytime, whatever you need, Buck. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's the right answer. Good man. Harlan Hill, everybody. Patriot political consultant, freedom fighter, all-around great guy. And uh, Harlan, we'll, uh, we'll have you back soon. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Buck. All right, team, more coming. Stay with me. I haven't spent much time on the show talking to you about the First Step Act. Uh, earlier today, I had a chance to speak to Congressman Collins of Georgia. He's also a, uh, an Air Force vet. Um, But I got a chance to sit down with him, and that interview will be airing on Monday. Uh, But the the First Step Act, where we talked about it at at some length, so I think that'll be a a good... Oh, it'll air on Rising, my other show, so you have to go check that out. I got two shows. But the First Step Act is supposed to be for what they would call back-end criminal justice reform. Front-end criminal justice reform is uh, who gets prosecuted, how long do they get sentenced to, right? And that's where most... Of the activism really is but back end is recidivism reduction how do you prevent people from uh going back to prison how do you stop repeat offenders from well becoming repeat offenders and and there's a lot of specificity in this uh first step act including uh that women who are pregnant will not be shackled during pregnancy uh times or, or good time served will get uh, weeks shaved off, or there's a, a particular formula for, for the actual number of days uh, per year, but you, you'll get time shaved off your sentence uh, and, and also a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of dealing with mandatory minimums. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's covered. Uh, greater uh, options in the commissary for people who are in prison, you know, more, uh, you know, more opportunity to speak to spouses and family, including via video chat. Yeah, up to at least, I think, 30 minutes a day for uh, for inmates who are on good behavior. And, and I, I got to say, I'm I'm for this. Uh, I, I don't understand why anybody would have vehement objections to it. The objections that I see so far, and, and this could get a vote in the next week or two. So um, the objections I see so far from people who either say it, it doesn't go far enough, and really what they want is front-end criminal justice reform. Uh, they want 
you know, less mandatory minimum sentencing because because where the the criminal justice system gets particularly politicized or at least political. I don't know. We, we can discuss if there's much of a difference there uh, is on drugs and the drug war and how long people should go to prison for this. It's pretty remarkable. I've been watching Narcos, which John, do you watch Narcos? Oh, my gosh. It's such a good show. Have you you've seen it, right? You've John. Gosh, darn it, John. You've got homework over the holidays. You got to watch Narcos. It's the best thing. Dude, I'll even give you my Netflix password if I have to. Just don't make fun of me for watching reruns of Friends all the time. Uh, but but Narcos is a great show. And, and it takes you from the Colombia Pablo Escobar phase into the Cali cartel in Colombia. And now it's in Mexico. But it all starts out. I mean, the cartel started out as, in Mexico at least, not in Colombia, as marijuana growing operations. And, and that was where they were making most of their money. It was only later that they became... Uh, the place for heroin and fentanyl and the transshipment point for so much cocaine and, and all these other things into the States as the the monster of the cartels consumed more and more of, of well, the population and created more carnage. But the drug war is where the, the, real, uh, the real problem is in terms of sentencing and how long people go away and first-time offenders. So I understand that there's some there's some good faith arguments to be had there about, well, are, are you really a nonviolent offender if you're at a drug deal with a weapon and you're working with people who will kill people who don't pay them for their drugs? Or, you know, are you really a nonviolent offender then? Or and, and this is where you get into some of the other back and forth over this. But the, but the White House has been really supportive uh, on this. And, and Jared, uh, Jared Kushner has been one of the Voices pushing this along uh, with, yes, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, President Trump himself. And and here's one of the very rare things that you see happening in D.C. where you have a a truly bipartisan action. So I'm trying to a little bit of a little bit of an uplifting story for the other day here. A truly bipartisan action underway that is intended to help people have a second chance. Uh, intended to have and by the way, there's a whole category i think there's 50 federal because this is only for federal uh federal defendants or federal uh, criminals rather federal people who are serving sentences um and that that's a very small fraction of the overall prison population um, inmates is the word i was looking for there federal people federal inmates uh but you know this is so it's for it's for those those people that don't fall into i think 50 different categories of federal crime. So if you do something really horrible, none of this stuff really counts for you. But it's mostly the the nonviolent drug stuff and and other issues, other crimes. Because you know it is true. We put a lot of people in prison in this country, and a lot of them for not hurting anybody, at least physically, and not necessarily even uh, being a threat to anyone. So it's worth looking at. We'll see if this gets a vote through in the Senate. It could become law in the next week or two, and I think it's a good thing, and it's bipartisan. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. He's a lean, mean analysis machine. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Can't wait to get to that Roll Call every day. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. When you decide that it is time to get in on this action, uh, would love to hear from some first timers. I've got my a lot of my usual folks writing in and uh, great to hear from all of you. But it's, it's fun to get some 
some noobs in the mix. So uh, all you have to do is go on Facebook, find my page, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, and I'll be there. Uh, Sandy writes, Buck, I just love how you do an impression of Hillary. It just makes my day. I love it when you do impressions. Your sense of humor is magical. I know it's depressing to talk about what's going on in the world. There's nothing we can do right now. America will fall, and all we can do is prepare. It's in the Bible that it will fall. Anyway, I just had to tell you how much I enjoy these quips of humor. Your show is entertaining and informative, Sandy. Thank you, Sandy. Uh, that doesn't even sound like Hillary. That's like Gilbert Godfrey or something. I don't know what that was. But, you know, yeah, we got to spice it up a little bit. Got to keep everybody on their toes, myself included. Can't just be all about defending the Constitution and America and freedom and liberty. You know, there's a lot of a lot of talk shows where it's just people screaming about America and the Constitution and stuff. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I'm with them on the substance. I just stylistically, I try to take a different way. There's, there's only so much angry that I can also bring to a radio show. Some people like to be very, very angry on the radio. Uh, other people just like to drone on and have a, a, a thousand guests. I was wondering if I have to listen to a radio host that has so many guests, why not just listen to those guests? You know what I mean? I mean, guests should be added in like a, you know, like, like a wine pairing with the meal, but the guests should not be the actual meal on a radio show. Stacy writes, Buck Craftsy has some very inexpensive video courses, including sauces. You can be fully up to speed in a couple of hours. Love your show. Thank you so much, Stacy. I I've watched some good videos on sauces. I think my problem is I just need to do more and more of of the uh, the application of the heat and knowing when to you know knowing at what level the heat should be. And because the thing with the sauce is if you if you mess it up, it's just not worth it, right? I mean, to throw like a burned sauce on your on your meat or on your scallops or whatever you're eating. Uh, you know, it's, it's better to just salt and pepper and go with the protein because the protein cooking I've got down now, but sauces for me is really the next, uh, the next level because I don't really eat, uh, well, I don't eat gluten because I don't eat gluten. I don't really bake. So I'm really a stove top and oven guy and not really getting too into any of the baking stuff. Um, but, uh, but thank you, uh, Stacy. I will check out Craftsy. Rick writes, hey, Buck, just finished Wednesday's podcast. Epic work as always. I got a kick from your cooking exploits. You're clearly past me if you're making your own sauces. Two things, though. Putting sauce on steak is heresy. Good steak only needs salt and pepper or smoky Montreal seasoning and a butter finish. And have you tried sous vide cooking? I only learned of it a couple of weeks ago, and so far I've cooked salmon fillets in olive oil, butter, and dill. They came out perfectly done, super moist and tender, wonderfully yummy. Tonight, I'll do a steak, ribeye, of course, finishing with a quick sear in the cast iron. As you are on record as a slow cooker aficionado, I think you'd enjoy sous vide, bon appetit, and shields high. Rick, original Saturday squad. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the steak in general, but let me give you a few provisos there. For example, when I made my bourbon pepper sauce, it was uh, specifically for a, a pretty standard sirloin cut that let's just say it was not uh you know it's like butcher steak some of these other thinner uh a little bit tougher steak cuts you tend to want to dress them up a little bit i mean if you've got a delicious if you've got a really good porterhouse or ribeye or fillet yeah salt pepper you keep it very minimal but you know if you're somebody who's going to cook a flank steak for example 
you probably want to throw some chimichurri sauce together or, or maybe do a little bit of a Bernays, you know, I love by Bernays is my weakness. I mean, I turn into the fat kid in grammar school who doesn't care that the teacher's going to catch him with like chocolate all over his face. He's going to eat his chocolate during lunchtime because he's hungry. He's so hungry for the chocolate. Uh, that's me with Bernays sauce. I'll just smear it on my face. I just love it. I think it's delicious. And I know it's eating fat, basically, but it, it's delicious. I like it. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, my other weakness, my weaknesses are, are French fries, chocolate, and I guess now I've admitted Bernays sauce. But uh, y- there's only so many places you can get that fancy French stuff. So that's the good news. And, and not the fries, I mean, of course. I mean, Bernays. Uh, so, yes, you're in general correct on the steaks. Uh, I, I do think that sometimes it's fun to do a little bit of a sauce. And for slow cookers, look, I'll tell you, we're, we're heading into wintertime here. And slow cookers in the wintertime are just incredible. Uh, if you get a good slow cooker recipe and you make a really good stew or, you know, you really get after, oof, I'm getting hungry, just getting hungry, just thinking about it. Uh, I, I was frequently making a sweet potato chicken uh a sweet potato chicken stew essentially and it, it was it was incredible i'm just gonna tell you so you, you gotta make some good stuff in the slow cooker it's not an expensive piece of equipment speaking of which i should find a slow cooker company to, to rep here on the show because i'm obviously such an aficionado so if you know anybody that makes a good slow cook uh slow cooker have them reach out to the buck sexton show brian writes hey brother no tall long no chat long time can you do a, sh- a short social post of your interview with andy mccarthy he sums up all the BS perfectly by some uh, driven by some insightful questions by you. Needs to be easily shared in a buck blast for delusional liberals to begin to grasp what the truth is of this whole case. Brian, I, I like the idea, uh, but I, I think that, you know, it, it's just a question of what we can get the get the team to do here. Uh, we're we got a lot of things going on. We don't really do short, short blasts of, of the show right now, but I do. I would like to do that at some point. Um, you know, I, I, we're, we're also revamping the website. I know we, we were doing it at the beginning of the summer and then we had some, some glitches in the back end. So now we're going to be redoing it and, and hopefully for 2019, going to really relaunch the website with a whole bunch of new stuff. And, uh, it'll be more of a one-stop shop for all things Freedom Hut. That's the idea. Adam writes, Buck, in response to the climate change advocates, I know none of them are serious because none of them are talking about manufacturing diamond all you need is a certain strain of bacteria introduced to copper and it makes methane then you use a pressure vessel to microwave the methane into the a plasma the carbon falls down and makes diamonds and you vent the hydrogen it takes some know-how but it'll sequester as much carbon as you can feed it feel free to use this and i can forward you all the relevant tech articles if you want to hit someone upside the head with it adam it sounds like you know way more about this than i do I don't even know how this is really relevant to the conversation about climate change. So help me out with that, my man. Send me send me a little more to, to sink my teeth into on this one. Because I, 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 you lost me in there. I was like, what? Who? Diamonds? Where? Who? What? What is this? Velvet? Um, Martin writes, Joe DiGenova would be a good guest host. Um... That is a good idea. Uh, that is a good idea. Uh, I think that's something that we could definitely get to. Joe DiGenova. Um, there we go. I, I know Joe a little bit, and I'd have to, uh, have to reach out and see. Uh, so there we go. Thank you for that. 
Um, Joe, different than Jody Genova, writes, Ken Matthews, WHP 580, would be a fantastic guest host. He fills in for Rush here and there. Well, Joe, you're right that Ken's fantastic, and, and I'm a fan, and, and I know he's also a great guy, and hope he's doing well in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, I know he's on, he's on WHP. Um, he is a, a Rush fill-in, though, right now. And, and you know, we kind of, believe it or not, the fill-in hosts are kind of their own little separate team. So I, I think that he's, uh, I think Ken's on, understandably, he's he's going to be a Rush fill-in, and that means that I, I can't borrow him. Because, uh, look, there's, there is no fill-in like the Rush fill-in. It's just the truth of the matter. I, I can't even, can't even begin to, uh, you know, to say anything other than that, because that's just the truth of it. John writes, uh, an action. Oh, the movie was. This is for his action movie quote. You bring a horse for me. Looks like looks like we're shy one horse. Okay, the movie's Once Upon a Time in the West. John, not only have I not seen that movie, I have never heard of that movie. So thank you for writing in. Kimberly writes, Hi Buck, nightly listener. You'll be missed over Christmas. Raheem is a wonderful guest host. Mark Stein would be another great choice. Uh, well, Kim, same thing applies for Mark. Uh, Mark is a Rush guest host, so I, I can't dip into that. I can't dip into that pool. Um, you know, I can't reach. I can't reach up and say, "Hey, uh, I'm going to borrow you too." But uh, Raheem, I think, will definitely be in the mix, assuming he's not. Uh, he's not uh, overseas, and uh, I think we're also thinking right now about having Harlan Hill on as a guest host. Raheem as a guest host. Uh, I think we may try to get Benny Johnson from The Caller in as a guest host. I'd love to have a female guest host, too. I, I'm not really sure who would uh, want to do that. That's in our, in our, shall we say, conservative bailiwick. I'd have to ask around a little bit, but I'm, I'm thinking about it. So don't worry. The days that I'm out, they're going to be, you're going to have great shows to listen to. So that that's the plan. Um, but I, I do need to, I just need to get some sleep. I fell asleep today on the couch when I was doing research, and I fell asleep like one of those people who didn't realize they're falling asleep and then had to, you know, when you wake up and you're sort of slobbery and you can't really breathe and you make the weird, like, you know, like, like, like an animal that's been startled noises. That's kind of, that's kind of how it was. It was one of those a little bit of drool in the side of your mouth. I know it's, this is a sexy picture I'm painting here, but Kyle writes shields. Hi, Buck caution, cheering the use of tech to kill mosquitoes. Man Playing God is how Zika was released and killer bees and a variety of environmental disasters in Hawaii. Well, Kyle, I appreciate your words of caution, but I hate, I hate them mosquitoes. Hate them, hate them, hate them. Uh, that's going to be it for the Freedom Hunt today, man. We got a Freestyle Friday coming your way tomorrow, which is going to be oh so much fun. I will see you, or at least speak to you then. Shields high. Sometimes people say, Buck, how do you do it, man? How do you keep it going all day, every day, starting 5 a.m., finishing 9 p.m. on the radio? And I tell them, you know what? Black Rifle Coffee. And there's no better gift you can give yourself or a loved one this holiday than a subscription to Black Rifle Coffee. That's what I have. I get my Black Rifle Coffee delivered every month. I just get a whole package of it in the mail. And you know what? I'm good to go. I drink full black every morning. Lately, I've been putting a little bit of cream in it because, you know, I like to mix it up, but I also drink it straight up black because that's how delicious the coffee is. Sign up for the coffee club. Check it out for yourself. The best tasting, most energizing, most pro-freedom, veteran-loving, first responder helping coffee you could ever find. Black Rifle Coffee is the gift that keeps on giving. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. 
15% off your order, folks. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. 